that all our knowledge begins with experience there can be no doubt for how should the faculty of knowledge be called into activity if not by objects which affect our senses and which either produce representations by themselves or rouse the activity of our understanding to compare to connect or to separate them and thus to convert the raw material of our sensuous impressions into a knowledge of objects which we call experience in respect of time therefore no knowledge within us is antecedent to experience but all knowledge begins with it but although all our knowledge begins with experience it does not follow that it arises from experience for it is quite possible that even our empirical experience is a compound of that which we receive through impressions and of that which our own faculty of knowledge incited only by sensuous impressions supplies from itself a supplement which we do not distinguish from that raw material until long practice has roused our attention and rendered us capable of separating one from the other it is therefore a question which deserves at least closer investigation and cannot be disposed of at first sight whether there exists a knowledge independent of experience or even of all impressions of the senses such knowledge is called a priori and distinguished from empirical knowledge which has its sources a posteriori that is in experience all depends here on a criterion by which we may safely distinguish between pure and empirical knowledge now experience teaches us no doubt that something is so or so but not that it cannot be different first then if we have a proposition which is thought together with its necessity we have a judgment a priori and if besides it is not derived from any proposition except such as is itself again considered as necessary we have an absolutely a priori judgment secondly experience never imparts to its judgments true or strict but only assumed or relative universality by means of induction so that we ought always to say so far as we have observed hitherto there is no exception to this or that rule if therefore a judgment is thought with strict universality so that no exception is admitted as possible it is not derived from experience but valid absolutely a priori necessity therefore and strict universality are safe criteria of knowledge a priori and are inseparable one from the other that there really exist in our knowledge such necessary and in the strictest sense universal and therefore pure judgments a priori is easy to show if we want a scientific example we have only to look to any of the propositions of mathematics if we want one from the sphere of the ordinary understanding such a proposition as that each change must have a cause will answer the purpose nay in the latter case even the concept of cause contains so clearly the concept of the necessity of its connection with an effect and of the strict universality of the rule that it would be destroyed altogether if we attempted to derive it as hume does from the frequent concomitancy of that which happens with that which proceeds and from a habit arising thence therefore from a purely subjective necessity of connecting representations it is possible even without having recourse to such examples in proof of the reality of pure propositions a priori within our knowledge to prove their indispensability for the possibility of experience itself thus proving it a priori for whence should experience take its certainty if all the rules which it follows were always again and again empirical and therefore contingent and hardly fit to serve as first principles for the present however 
we may be satisfied for having shown the pure employment of the faculty of our knowledge, as a matter of fact, with the criteria of it. Not only in judgments, however, but even in certain concepts can we show their origin a priori. Take away, for example, from the concept of a body as supplied by experience everything that is empirical one by one, such as color, hardness or softness, weight, and even impenetrability, and there still remains the space which the body, now entirely vanished, occupied. That you cannot take away. And in the same manner, if you remove from your empirical concept of any object, corporeal or incorporeal, all properties which experience has taught you, you cannot take away from it that property by which you conceive it as a substance, or inherent in a substance, although such a concept contains more determinations than that of an object in general. Convinced, therefore, by the necessity with which that concept forces itself upon you, you will have to admit that it has its seat in your faculty of knowledge a priori. In all judgments in which there is a relation between subject and predicate, I speak of affirmative judgments only, the application to negative ones being easy, that relation can be of two kinds. Either the predicate B belongs to the subject A as something contained, though covertly, in the concept A, or B lies outside the sphere of concept A, though somehow connected with it. In the former case I call the judgment analytical, in the latter synthetical. Analytical judgments, affirmative, are therefore those in which the connection of the predicate with the subject is conceived through identity, while others in which that connection is conceived without identity may be called synthetical. The former might be called illustrating, the latter expanding judgments, because in the former nothing is added by the predicate to the concept of the subject, but the concept is only divided into its constituent concepts, which were always conceived as existing within it, though confusedly, while the latter add to the concept of the subject a predicate not conceived as existing within it, and not to be extracted from it by any process of mere analysis. If I say, for instance, all bodies are extended, this is an analytical judgment. I need not go beyond the concept connected with the name of body in order to find that extension is connected with it. I have only to analyze that concept and become conscious of the manifold elements always contained in it in order to find that predicate. This is therefore an analytical judgment. But if I say all bodies are heavy, the predicate is something quite different from what I think is the mere concept of body. The addition of such a predicate gives us a synthetical judgment. Empirical judgments as such are all synthetical, for it would be absurd to found an analytical judgment on experience because in order to form such a judgment I need not at all step out of my concept or appeal to the testimony of experience. That a body is extended is a proposition perfectly certain a priori and not an empirical judgment. For before I call in experience I am already in possession of all the conditions of my judgment in the concept of body itself. I have only to draw out from it, according to the principle of contradiction, the required predicate, and I thus become conscious, at the same time, of the necessity of the judgment which experience could never teach me. But though I do not include the predicate of gravity in the general concept of body, that concept nevertheless indicates an object of experience through one of its parts, so that I may add other parts also of the same experience, besides those which belong to the former concept. I may first, by an analytical process, realize the concept of body through the predicates of extension, impermeability, form, etc., all of which are contained in it. 
Afterwards I expand my knowledge, and looking back to the experience from which my concept of body was abstracted, I find gravity always connected with the before-mentioned predicates, and therefore I add it synthetically to that concept as a predicate. It is therefore experience on which the possibility of the synthesis of the predicate of gravity with the concept of body is founded. Because both concepts, though neither of them is contained in the other, belong to each other, though accidentally only, as parts of a whole, namely of experience, which is itself a synthetical connection of intuitions. In synthetical judgments a priori, however, that help is entirely wanting. If I want to go beyond the concept A in order to find another concept B connected with it, where is there anything on which I may rest and through which a synthesis might become possible, considering that I cannot have the advantage of looking about in the field of experience? Take the proposition that all which happens has its cause. In the concept of something that happens, I no doubt conceive of something existing, preceded by time, and from this certain analytical judgments may be deduced. But the concept of cause is entirely outside that concept, and indicates something different from that which happens, and is by no means contained in that representation. How can I venture then to predicate of that which happens something totally different from it? and to represent the concept of cause, though not contained in it, as belonging to it, and belonging to it by necessity. What is here the unknown X on which the understanding may rest in order to find beyond the concept A a foreign predicate B, which nevertheless is believed to be connected with it? It cannot be experienced because the proposition that all which happens has its cause represents the second predicate as added to the subject not only with greater generality than experience can ever supply, but also with a character of necessity and therefore purely a priori and based on concepts.